Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. To be precise, even, it's Palm Sunday, and you're not going to believe it, but I found a joke about Palm Sunday. It's like, who writes jokes just about Palm Sunday? And yet, here it is. So it was Palm Sunday, but because of a sore throat, five-year-old Billy had to stay home from church with a sitter. When the family returned from home, of course, they were carrying palm fronds, and Johnny asked them what they were for. Well, people lined the streets with them to herald Jesus' return, his father told him. And then they held them over his head as he walked by to honor him. Wouldn't you know it, said Johnny. The one Sunday I don't go to church, he shows up. <laughs> All right. Now we gotta, now we got to get serious. Well... More serious, anyway. As some of you may know, we're using Ernest uh, Irvin Seal's book, Learn to Live, as we walk through some interpretation of uh, Jesus' parables from the Bible. And of course, you know me, I'm kind of putting my practical spin on things. So, so, you know, get ready for a certain amount of spin. But more important than that, what I like to think we're doing this month is teaching all of you how you might interpret Scripture. And so to that end, in addition to the parables in your program, it is a little bit what is a parable and how you might interpret them for yourself. So I, th- I think that's kind of fun. So how do we in Science of Mind go about interpreting a parable? Well, first, we look at the literal interpretation. And I got to tell you, if I'm going to talk about ten virgins today... I probably need to do a little bit of explaining first about what was entailed a couple thousand years ago. First, if any of you ever have the inkling that women are anything less than, than, than amazing things, 2,000 years ago they were treated fairly poorly. Women were not allowed to own land. They were not allowed to have businesses. Really, for all intents and purposes, they weren't even second-class citizens. They weren't allowed to be a citizen. And so one of the ways, um, and, and you might think of this as just the worst thing, the worst plan ever, or, or something that for its time actually worked out well, but they allowed men to have more than one wife. And in particular, it was seen as a way of preventing women from becoming homeless. And so uh, 2,000 years ago, it was not at all uncommon that the women, especially in your family, you would do what was necessary to make sure that they were safe and secure. If that meant that your brother died, you would marry his wives so that they wouldn't be out on the street. If there was a, a maiden aunt or something like that in the family, you would find a cousin or someone in the family would marry that woman so that she would not be home, literally homeless. And so first of all, when we talk about the ten virgin, virgin I can't even say it. I can't even talk to this. Sharon and I were remarking that we're, 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 our mouths are not working right today. So the first thing you need to know is that the idea of marrying ten women, even in one fell swoop, so to speak, wouldn't have been totally out of the question. If there would have been some kind of a natural disaster, it might have indeed been that the town needed to find new homes for 10 women. But I will say that there would have been some laughing about this. The idea, in fact, that all 10 of them were virgins 
uh, probably would have provoked uh, some tittering. Some other things, though, you need to know when Jesus was talking about this is a very common symbol for the day of enlightenment or truth was the idea of a lamp. And so in the parable, when we talk about the lamps, this is beyond the idea of just illumination. Uh, it's more of a metaphysical illumination. It's more the idea of truth in the world. And in particular, the oil that goes into the lamp wasn't just a substitute for today's electricity. I mean, it was, but the oil actually represents a, a divine power, if you will, the, the divinity that allows truth to exist in the world. So, Having, having set you up a little bit for the literal interpretation of this, uh, let me read Jesus' parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took their oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and soon they all became drowsy and fell to sleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not even know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, in the literal interpretation of this, uh, really they're advising us to be ready, that none of us knows what may come. And in particular, I would say the literal meaning also is that, uh, that, that at some, some level that, um, that uh, innocence can also be a detriment if it means that we're innocent by withholding information from ourselves. If we're innocent by lack of our experience in the world, it's saying that this can be a problem. So that's the literal meaning. Now as we discussed last week, the next thing we want to look at is the metaphysical meaning. And one of the ways that we can do that is to put ourselves in the roles of, of some of the main characters. But before we get there, I just want to ask you, can you imagine metaphysically what this idea of five foolish virgins and five wise virgins is? Let me give you a clue from Erwin uh, Seal here. He says, our senses in the olden days were called virgins because they were impressionable. They are receivers, sight and hearing, taste and touch, smelling. They're all movements of the mind which receive impressions from our surroundings. Our personal and individual mind is nothing more or nothing less than the sum of all of its impressions. This is the importance of what impressions to the mind are. The five outer senses are the foolish ones because they receive only the impressions of the material world. Now wait a minute, does that ring true? 
Isn't most of what we know about life based on what we see and, and hear and even what we taste and touch and sense through our senses? I, I certainly don't want to disagree with the master teacher here, but I think most of what I know has come to me through my senses. And in fact, I would suggest that he's not saying that there's anything wrong with the fact that we see and hear and, and taste and so forth, but I think the trouble is the idea of taking them literally, taking them at face value. And you know, what's interesting, 2,000 years later after these words were, were written down, what's interesting is brain science is telling us a whole lot about our five senses that is a, a little bit on the uncomfortable side. For instance, are you aware that only about 10% of what we see actually gets uh, acted upon by the discerning parts of our brain. 90% of what we see, even though we see it, we don't actually perceive it. Now, I liken to this, have, have you ever uh, lived at a, uh, at a certain place or worked at a certain place long enough that you just had all the traffic patterns memorized in your head? Ever had them put up a stop sign that wasn't there before? Right? Isn't that the weirdest thing? It's like I've actually driven through a couple stop signs. Now, what brain science will tell us is we actually did see the stop sign. If there was a way of actually going into our brain and seeing what was recorded there literally from our eyesight, the stop sign would have been there. And yet, what happens when someone notices? Of course, naturally, it's the man I sit next to in the car the most often. And when he says, you just drove through a stop sign. What do I say? What stop sign? No, I didn't. And he's like, well, uh, you know, what about that one? <laughs> what is happening isn't that we don't have the eyes to see it. What is happening is we're filling in a pattern that we believe to be true. We are on purpose not seeing the stop sign because our pattern is just to go through that intersection. Why do I need to see things that are extraneous to what I already believe to be true? Do you see the danger here? So much of our lives, we're actually seeking out the little details, the sights and the sounds that will fit in what we already believe. And that, I think, is the trouble with our, our exterior senses is that, is that we're really involved in pattern matching rather than perceiving, rather than taking a look at what's really happening and making decisions based on it using good discernments instead. Well, another example. Have you ever known someone so well that you could actually finish their sentences? Right? Usually a family member or someone you've lived with for a number of years. I used to, in college, I used to be able to, to do it with, with one of my roommates, and we would just laugh about it. But you know what? Even in that, that's a, there is a danger, because what are we actually doing? We're imagining that we know someone so well that we can literally predict what they're thinking, and for people who are wanting to do that as kind of a parlor trick, I guess, maybe it's a good thing. But do you see that this is the very thing that things like racial profiling or, or discounting people is based on? Because we think we know that someone follows a certain pattern 
based either on past history or what the news media tells us or whatever, suddenly we're in the position of actually thinking that our own senses are allowing us to come to a conclusion about people. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know. And you know what? It works because people often do follow the same patterns. That's why, we, that's why we can finish some of our loved one's sentences. But you know what? The assumption is then, no one's ever going to change. Right? If I'm always going to be able to finish your sentences, it's because you're going to keep doing and thinking and saying the same things until the end of time. Is that what we want for people? Oh my gosh. We need to be watchful for the new stop sign. We need to be ready to receive new information coming from people, not just completing their senses for them, but really listening to the people and the places and the events, especially the ones that are important to us, especially the people closest to us, right? They're the ones we want to support and love up. If we are putting them into a pattern if we are using our senses to simply reinforce what we already believe about them, it's like we're trapping them in amber. It's like we're, we're trying to have them be always the same thing. Well, now, if that thing is marvelous, maybe we're in favor of it. But have you ever noticed parents that have grown children and they still kind of treat them a bit like children? Have you ever noticed siblings that treat one another as though they're still 14 or 15 and some of the weird little squabbles that are going on? This is because we're allowing our pattern recognition to actually override new sense data coming into us, right? If we really had our eyes open, we would notice people are different. We would notice that that 14-year-old girl has blossomed into an amazing, smart woman, and we would treat her accordingly. We would notice that that rotten kid brother actually has some worthwhile qualities into adulthood, and we would treat him in that way. This is the danger. This is the, the foolish virgins from the parable. Because we're not actually using our senses of sight and sound and, and our ability to interpret things in a valid way. We're simply filling in the blanks using our own imagination. So that's one of the reasons that in the parable, our five senses are considered impressionable. That's the, that's the virginal characteristic of them. And whose perceptions are we putting on them, right? We'll, we'll see the perfect answer and instead we will fill in a pattern of what happened before or what we believe to be true or what the news media says and reach our conclusions based not even on what we're seeing but based on what we think we're seeing or would want to see or imagine that we've seen. It's plowing right through the stop sign. But I would say the other reason that our five senses are the foolish verge, vir why is this, why am I having trouble? <laughs> I think there's another reason and I think even even more important reason why the senses alone are the foolish virgins in the story. And that's because they don't tell us the whole story. They may tell us literally what's going on, but do they tell us what's going on on the inside? The parable, I think, is evocative of the fact that we have an inner set of senses as well. And these would be the wise virgins. 
And so our inner sight is what we call insight. It's our intuition. It's our ability to, to take a look at what's factually happened and recognizing that maybe there's more going on here. Our inner sense of touch is the, the ability to have compassion for other people and for situations. Our inner sense of, uh, of hearing is listening from the heart. It's really understanding uh, what's going on. Have you ever had a, a friend of yours that you just knew something was up and so you said, well, well, what's going on? Are you okay? And they said, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right? Those are the words. That's what you heard. You know it's not fine. When we listen from that inner sense of compassion and love, often we will get a very different answer if we ask the question. If we're just blinded by what we see, just by the words as spoken, oftentimes we're actually going to miss the important part of what's going on. We can be so fooled, right, by, by the fact that they're dressed well and they say they're fine, right? And two of our senses are saying, no problem here. The reality could be quite different. And something right here that has no visible sense organ at all might be the main clue to it. Your heart telling you something isn't quite right. I think that all of our outward senses have that inward component, that inward ability to give us even more information by asking questions, by using our intuition, by listening on, a, on perhaps a deeper level than just the words themselves. So ultimately, on the metaphysical side, I think this parable is truly about discernment, truly about our perceptions, truly about us taking a bigger picture than just the words that are said, not relying just on our eyes, not relying on, on what was written down or what was, uh, uh, what was heard verbatim. Also, I think what they're really advising us is to even question whether what we saw was really what was going on. If indeed nine-tenths of what comes into our visual cortex is just discarded. Remember all those arguments where you were so firm in your belief saying, that's not true, that's not what happened, that's not what I said. I'm taking a little more skeptical look at my own perception of reality lately. And you know what? Lately, I've begun to own up to the fact that I may not actually remember really well what was said, and in particular, what I said. I'm becoming a little more willing to recognize that the filters I put in place may just be an echo of what I would like to have said or my idea of what could have happened. I have some homework for you, as I always do. The good news is, we're going to do it right here. This is our home, too. What I would like to suggest is for you just to close your eyes for a few minutes, and we're going to take the teachings from the parable of the ten virgins and use the third form of interpretation. We're going to analyze a bit of our own lives using this ancient wisdom. And so if you would close your eyes, and I invite you just to think of either a challenge or an opportunity that's in your life right now. Maybe something that's kind of daunting or difficult. So a challenge or an opportunity, something that's going on in your life right now. Just for a moment, think about this issue that's come up for you 
and maybe some of the complexity or trouble with it. And now I would like you inwardly to ask yourself what your true senses tell you about this. So, so your actual eyes, what have you seen about this issue? And what have you heard about this issue? So, so imagine your senses at work here. What have your eyes told you about it? What have your ears told you about it? If your sense of smelling or touch have been involved, let them tell you about this particular experience. And be careful, if you would, not to jump to conclusions by what you've seen and heard, right? Maybe there was a stop sign in there that you didn't even really notice, even though it was there. So for a moment, just try to literally see, for real, what your eyes and your ears, your taste, your nose, and your sense of touch told you about this issue. And now I would like you to go within and see if you can find out what your inner senses tell you about this issue. So in terms of seeing, what does your inner eye, what insight do you have about this issue? And when you listen from your heart, what information comes to you? What does your heart tell you when you're listening in that way? We might think of our smell or our taste as being our inner senses of, of instinct or intuition, those, those, uh, those just gotcha feelings of, oh, right. And then finally, our inner sense of touch, of feeling, I think, is compassion. What does the voice of compassion tell you about this particular issue? And now I just invite you to, to sort of put these two views of the issue, if you will, together. Now that you have used your outer senses and your inner senses, just notice if your take on this particular issue, your opinion of it, or your discernment about it, just notice if any changes have happened. Just see if maybe you have a fuller, rounder picture of this particular issue. So I invite you just to bring your attention back into the room and you can open your eyes as you like. Do you see how we can use this ancient parable about our perceptions in our daily lives? Next time you're presented with something uh, where a decision is required or some particular important discernment is, I would just ask you to look at it maybe from Three particular views. First of all, from your literal senses, what was said, what was, uh, what was seen, what was written down, is that the whole story? Is there more to be discerned than just that? And are you even getting the full picture? A lot of times what we heard actually comes from a third or fourth party, doesn't it? 
what, what was witnessed may not have been witnessed by us. And so there may even be someone else's spin involved on some of the family stories and the this is what happened and then this is what happened and then this is what happened. So first of all, just ask yourself what really happened? What can I personally verify happened through my eyes and my ears? And then ask yourself, is that the whole story? Is there more underneath this yet to be discovered? Do I need to ask more questions? Do I need to get more information? Do I need to maybe extend a hand in compassion? Do I maybe need to take a look of some other person's point of view? I'm going to close today with a quote from Ernest Holmes. This is from Lessons in Spiritual Mind Healing. He wrote it in 1943. He said, We are not to think of the physical senses as opposed to truth or reality. The impression received by the average person is true so far as it goes. It is not the objective experience, but it is our subjective reaction to our interpretation of it. That is what matters. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. I know that God is uh, continually showering us with all manner of good, if we can but see it. And so on this day for myself, I claim that ability to see with clarity. I claim that ability to hear the truth. I, I claim that ability to, to have the sensations that come through my senses to be more accurate and truthful because I know they're there. I know I can see that stop sign before I just plow through it. And as it is true for me, I know that capability exists for each person in this room. Each person here can channel that divine wisdom in their own lives to see more clearly, to, to hear with an open mind, to, to understand with the heart, to be fully present and aware of what's going on in our lives and therefore make the most wonderful decisions ever. That is what I know for this group that I call the beloved. And so I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. US slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.